Good morning. Hi. Happy Pride, everybody. I want to talk about Pride today. Also, Happy Father's Day to um, everyone here who holds that identity. Um, thank you for the blessings you bring. Um, tying the two topics together, just so you guys know, I've been celebrating Father's Day personally for the last several years because Tennessee likes to Tennessee. And um, so legally, if you're married and your wife gives birth, you're the father on the birth father on the birth certificate and they refuse to put like gender like gender neutral on there so i'm the father of both my children on their birth certificate so happy father's day to me as well um at least it's a joke i like to tell i get both um (laughs) um, but yes i am going to talk about pride today because i want to because it feels fitting and there's been a theme for me with this congregation um because of the season we've been in um and i feel like celebrating today and not Um, lamenting maybe as much as I have um, on some of these topics. But to start off, I'm going to settle in on the first principle. Um, The one that I think, I know at least for me, like we all memorize first um, because it's easy to memorize and because I think it makes so much sense to anyone who is seeking a love-based community. That first UU principle that we affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person. It feels like a given It's so easy to agree to. It's so easy to believe. An easy box to check. It's correct. So let's dig a little bit deeper. um, On the UUA's website, when you look up the principles, it has them all listed. And on each of them, you can click the number to, like, go one level in on that principle. And I did that. Like, what's what's the, the intro to the first principle. And you see there a quote from the Reverend Dr. Rebecca Ann Parker. And I'm going to read that to you now. It says, Reverence and respect for human nature is at the core of the Unitarian Universalist faith. We believe that all dimensions of our being carry the potential to do good. We celebrate the gifts of being human, our intelligence and capacity for observation and reason, our senses and ability to appreciate beauty, our creativity, our feelings and emotions. We cherish our bodies as well as our souls. We can use our gifts to offer love, to work for justice, to heal injury, to create pleasure for ourselves and for others. She continues, Unitarian Universalists affirm the inherent worth and dignity of each person as a given of faith, an unshakable conviction calling us to self-respect and respect for others. And there, couched right at the end, my friends, is what I think the hard part is. Did you catch that? An unshakable conviction calling us to self-respect. I know, at least for me, one of the greatest struggles I've faced is to simply be able to treat myself with self-respect. To give myself the same grace, the same love that I would give other people. And I think that for a lot of people, this is true and very much the result of living in a culture that has spent decades and decades worth of energy setting up systems and ideologies that work to dismantle our individual sense of self-worth. We're up against it. And when we fail to recognize our self-worth, we often, if not always by default, fail to recognize our own divinity. Now, as Unitarian Universalists, our understanding of God and the divine varies, almost person to person. 
So I'm going to give you some brief insight into my own theology, simply for the sake of clarifying what I mean when I talk about the term divinity today. Another one of our UU principles, the seventh principle, calls out the interdependent web of existence, right? For me, the vastness of our interconnection, how not one single action that we as individuals take or any slight change that occurs in nature or changes that take place out in the cosmos, none of that occurs without rippling out into the universe and affecting change both seen and mostly unseen throughout. This awe-inspiring connection between all things is what I personally honor and name as spirit. The interconnectedness we all share in my understanding firmly names each of us as important and necessary in this world because we're all connected to each other. My personal place in this vast, miraculous network of being, standing alongside the fact that an infinite amount of happenstance as well as millions of deliberate choices all led to my existence, fills me with awe. My awareness of this interconnectedness is what guides my choices when I am most seeking to do what is right and best, and it leads me towards compassion for others when my heart is trying to harden. It is a miracle that I am here, just as it is a miracle that you are here. And as I honor and praise the miracles that brought us into being, I honor the divinity that lives within each of us as a result. We are all miraculous. Our existence is miraculous. And our responsibility to each other is boundless. And our liberation, as activist and artist Lilla Watson so beautifully described, is bound up in each other. So... When I personally speak of divinity, it is an elevation of those terms inherent worth and dignity. It is a recognition of your necessary place in this interdependent web. It is a recognition and an honoring of the miracle of your existence and a lifting up of my belief that we need each other and that we are each so worthy of the same amount of awe we would give a dazzling sunset or a meteor shower or a glorious piece of art. Now, as much as I firmly believe in the divine nature of the connections I just described, I do, as I've already named, believe that there are forces and systems in our society that actively work to undermine our sense of belonging in the universe. So, just as I can describe my personal theology and understanding of the divine, I can also say that my understanding of evil is embodied by those actions taken that work to ignore how inextricably connected we are and refuse to honor the impact we have on one another and the planet. And as we all know, and as I've now spoken to you about more than once, and as I know you feel directly and palpably in this community, there are these types of evil ideologies permeating the centers of power in our government that are actively working not only to to deny the divinity of many of our siblings, but are also trying to suppress their agency to simply exist as themselves in public. Efforts to ban drag, to cancel pride celebrations, 
to restrict bathroom usage, to deny access to gender-affirming care, to take away our sacred agency over our own bodies. These are active, embodied movements to stamp out certain people's experience of being connected to their communities, to their own sense of self-worth. And while we feel this palpably and actively in our culture right now, we also know, as I mentioned before, that there have been forces at play for, again, countless decades that have been focused on this same work of stripping us of our wholeness. These forces and movements are trying to tell us that we should be ashamed, which moves us towards denying our necessary and needed place in our communities and our world. A name you probably all know well, researcher and author Brene Brown defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And this feeling of unworthiness is an immense force in shaping how we move and interact with the world. You can imagine that when so much of the world is telling you that you're not worthy of belonging, that who you are is unwelcome or even illegal, it can become very, very easy to forget the miraculous nature of your existence. It can become very easy to withdraw or to hide. It can become very easy to find yourself disconnected, not just from the world, but to your spirit and your sense of worth your sense of dignity, your understanding of your own divinity. As I grew up in my own conservative community and began to recognize my own queerness, I saw no blueprint for what my life could look like. In my church, in my high school, there was absolutely no representation of queerness or otherness of any kind, a bizarre erasure of anything outside of cisgendered heteronormativity existed, although in 1995 we weren't really using words like cisgendered and heteronormativity, but still, there was no language, and also you just didn't see anything, right? And this caused anyone like me, who felt the need to explore and understand themselves as being different, to do so almost exclusively. We felt we had to do that in the shadows, where no one could see us. And I mentioned my church, simultaneously in my spiritual home, there was no mention of homosexuality, gender nonconformity, or queerness of absolutely any kind mentioned. Like, no one said this is bad or wrong. They just didn't mention it at all. So I came to understand that as a complete lack of welcome of my queerness into the spiritual realm. Queerness and spirituality were mutually exclusive or at least completely compartmentalized aspects of my experience. It was almost as if this erasure from dialogue and representation acted to snip those strings of connectivity that attached my queerness to myself and to that interconnected web, so that it would either just float away and cease to exist, or would sink back into shadow and out of sight. As I reclaimed and started to truly get to know my own spirituality later in life, I didn't even realize that I still wasn't incorporating my own queerness into it. I was in my 30s, very much out of the closet, married, and even involved in our welcoming faith tradition. But it wasn't until after I was in seminary that I experienced that aha moment around the fact that my sexuality, my gender, my queerness was still something I was basically erasing from my spiritual life. And I was stricken when I realized this not just at the realization that I've subconsciously like, bifurcated these parts of myself, but also by the multitude of new understandings and opportunities to explore that had just opened up to me once I realized it. I took a, it took a queer theology class 
and its basic introductory text to spark the knowledge in me that I wasn't worthy of love and belonging in spite of my queerness, but that my queerness was just as necessary and just as miraculous as any other part of my experience. That it, too, was an aspect of my divinity. In my second semester of seminary, I read the book Radical Dharma by Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams and Lama Rod Owens, both Buddhist teachers. And in the section of the book entitled Bringing Our Whole Selves, A Theory of Queer Dharma, Reverend Williams discusses how her own experience of queerness eased her, eased her entry into Zen meditative practice. While others may have felt resistance to meditation because of the number of intrusive or unwelcome thoughts that could emerge, she, and I'll quote her here, she said, I could let painful truths that had been hidden away emerge on my cushion because through choosing queerness, I, had, I already had practice choosing to be free. And that was the quote that cracked the door open for me when it came to exploring the intertwined nature of my queerness and my spirituality. That simple description of choosing to be free felt like such an honoring of my identity, such a celebration of it. There was no shame, no otherness. There was simply a description of a way of living that was liberated and that honored the wholeness of self. And surely, I thought when I read this, a whole person who chooses daily to be free They are worthy of love, and they hold the spark of divinity. My queerness was not just welcome in my faith community as a personality trait. My queerness was an expression of my whole divine self. I'm still very new to this exploration, maybe like a year and a half in, and I'm excited by it. It's still new. I've still got a lot to explore. In this season of pride, I find myself called to it even more. As we are heading into our celebrations and our public displays of authenticity this June with heavier and warier hearts than we have at other times. We are called to love the world in times like these, in times of persecution and pain that I described earlier. But we also, in this time and season of pride, are called to love ourselves loudly. And in community, we experience that love, validation, and celebration of our whole selves in ways that many in society who walk different paths may take for granted. As we all hear every year, the first Pride was a riot. It is a time not just of celebration, but of amplified activism. It is a time of hyper-visibility where rainbow flags fly everywhere from the front of homes to the side of corporate headquarters. The letters on the side of my office building are like Roy G. Biv colors, and it just cracks me up every time. Like somebody's really proud of themselves. Not to be a jerk. Somebody's like, look what we did. (laughs) Um, It's cool, I guess. My daughter, my five-year-old, is like so annoyed by pride. She's like, ugh, more pride. Gosh, rainbow, ugh. Like, because, you know, she lives, it's so funny. I'm like, look, a pride flag. And she's like, ugh, mom. Like, she's so bored with it. It's really funny. Um, But I love pride, and so now she has to be annoyed. Um, I love pride because the celebration of beauty it brings, the no-holds-barred confidence it bears, and the picture it paints of the world as it should be, where all are welcome and all are celebrated, where our divinity shines bright. Um, Non-binary poet, activist, and visionary Alok V. Menon. Does anyone here know who Alok is? Okay. I might bring the book up during the talk back so you can see what they look like. 
Um, but their poetry, they have stand-up comedy, their online social media presence, all of it is a visionary presence in the world. Alok, spelled A-L-O-K, is open about the amount of vitriol they experience on a daily basis as a gender non-conforming person. And they consistently deliver a message about the power of meeting hatred with love and finding opportunities to grow in the face of harsh circumstances. They are confident in their beauty, and their work is steeped in the rich history of gender fluidity and nonconformity that spans centuries on this planet. The love that they hold for themselves and that they pour into the world is a balm and a teacher. I felt compelled today to share one of their poems with you as an example of what this love of self and understanding of one's own divinity can feel like, can sound like, how one can stare into the face of oppression and understand that they are not diminished by it. The poem I'm going to read is called My Beauty is So Tremendous, and it comes from a Lokes book called Your Wound, My Garden. I'll mark the end of the poem by a moment of two or silence before I move on. My beauty is so tremendous, it has to be edited out of magazines and movements, whitewashed from history, evacuated from the sermons, the schools, and the streets, just to prove that it does not exist. My beauty is so tremendous that they try to confine it to build health and science gates around it. But my beauty, you can still peek through and see it. My beauty is so tremendous that there are no words for it, or rather, the words, they are too ugly for my beauty. My beauty is so tremendous They had me believe so long it was not there. So when I finally found it here, in all of the places I was taught to hate, here, in all of the curves and creases, bulges and breaches, here, in this body, not theirs, I finally figured out. My beauty is so tremendous that the men, the men, they have to kill me for it. But my beauty, my beauty is so tremendous that it will still be there when I am gone. It will still be here when I am gone. I believe that there is sacredness to what Alok shared here. And I'm honored to have the chance to share it from a pulpit, to share it in a sermon. I believe that what we are doing here is holy and necessary work. To celebrate these voices, to bring pride into church, I am inspired by and in awe of their unshakable awareness of their own beauty, and I am thankful for their insistence on sharing it with the world. So I hope that it touches you too. I hope that during these times that can feel dark and scary, that you feel connected and proud of your identities, both as queer folk and as active allies. I hope that you feel the divinity of your place in this work and in this world, And that you offer yourself the same self-respect, the same love you offer so freely to others. In spite of the ways our culture tries to tell us we should not be doing so. I hope that your season of pride is full of joy. If you're joining some of the celebrations in Nashville next weekend, maybe I'll see you there. And thank you for the work you are doing to keep pride celebrations alive in Murfreesboro. Don't doubt the necessity and sacred nature of this work. Together, we affirm the inherent worth and dignity of every person, the divinity of every person, the miracle of every person.
of every one of you. To repeat Reverend Dr. Parker's words from the beginning of this talk, we can use our gifts to offer love, to work for justice, to heal injury, to create pleasure for ourselves and others. I wish you joy as you continue this work, and I pray you experience your own divinity and the inextricable necessity of your place in this work every single day. May it be so.